Genesis 1 through 3, and uh, we're going to be reading selected passages from, uh, from Genesis 1 through 3 that are pertinent to our topic this morning. Uh, within Genesis 1, the important uh, passages for us are, typically, are, are specifically about the creation of man, so starting in verse 26 and following. And God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In verse 31 also, and God saw all that he had made and it was very good. There was evening and there was morning the sixth day. And then uh, in chapter 2, we have a little bit more of a zooming in to uh, the events that occurred in Genesis 1, summarized in Genesis 1. And the uh, scripture passages important to our topic today are particularly concerning the creation of uh, Eve, of the woman. Starting in verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh. Of my flesh she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And then particularly in uh, chapter 3, the uh, verses that are pertinent to our subject today are the results of uh, the woman being deceived by the serpent, having eaten from the fruit and then giving the fruit to her husband to eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God said uh, not to eat from. So starting in verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, 
Cursed are you above all the livestock and all the wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken for dust, you are, and to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. Recently, I was giving a bath to my three-year-old daughter, and she had an interesting question for me. She said, Daddy, why did God make you a pastor? You know, that's a very intuitive question, an interesting question, right? I said, I got to think about that. Well, uh, baby girl, I'm not really sure why God called me to be a pastor, but I do pray that I am honoring him with that calling, and, uh, and, I am, and, and I'm doing the best that I can by his grace uh, in that calling. Later on, she said, Daddy, can I be a pastor? And my answer to her was, baby girl, God calls us all to many different things, and I'm sure he has a wonderful calling in mind for you, but it's not to be a pastor. Now, you can have one of two responses to what I just said. The first one would be what some would call a conservative, old-fashioned, hearty amen. The other one would be to say, how dare you tell your little girl that God can't call her to be a pastor? And that is the reason why we are having this sermon series on biblical manhood and womanhood. We are living in a day and age when gender role distinctions between men and women are more and more being blurred, being confused, being broken down, being gotten rid of entirely. And I think it's important specifically for Cottage Grove Christian Reformed Church that we take time to consider and bring before us the teaching of God's word concerning this very issue. And I think it's particularly important because we belong to a denomination in which this gender role distinction is being blurred and confused. Our denomination as a whole has said that churches and classes can allow women to be deacons, elders, and pastors. Maybe some of you are aware of that. Maybe some of you are not. But one thing you should be very able to see is that although Cottage Grove remains a Christian Reformed church, Our particular congregation does not have women deacons, elders, and 
pastors. And I think it's unwise for us to simply assume that's the way it's always been, but not bring before our people the teaching of God's word concerning this. I know that this is a very heated topic, a much debated topic in our day and age, and I know that it is very possible that this conversation here in our morning services uh, for the next six sermons that I will be here preaching for you uh, could cause some issues and stir up some things. But what I'm hoping you will see is that it is my intention alone to bring before you the teaching of God's word concerning this. And it is also my intention to show you that God's words concerning this are beautiful and are to be embraced and loved and appreciated. They're not, to, they're not something to be embarrassed about or to hide or to not want to bring up in conversation. But it's something that God has created us uniquely and purposely for. And it is not only for the flourishing of our homes and our churches, but it's for the flourishing and the well-being of our culture and our society. So with that being said, a couple of definitions before we start. What I'm going to be presenting to you is often called complementarianism. Uh, it is the view that God has created men and women equal in their essential dignity in human personhood, but different and complementary. That's where the word complementarianism comes from. Um, my wife is not me. She is different from me. She complements me. She is not adding to me or taking away from me. She complements me. And the, the same is uh, uh, can be said of me to her. Uh, so men and women complement one another in their unique personhood, right? Uh, and this is opposed to what is often called egalitarianism. Egalitarianism is uh, uh, the, the thought that men and women are equal and there are no role distinctions proper to men and women in the home and in the church. Uh, I, this is important in very, very specific ways. For one, I have two boys at home and two girls, and it is my wife and I's goal that we would raise the boys to be men and the girls to be women. But if we don't know what those things are, how can we do that? If we don't know what those things mean, how can we do that? And with all the talk about toxic masculinity and hashtag Me Too movement that's going on in our day and age, it is adamant that we look to God's word as our guide in this area, concerning this area. This has so many implications, even into the conversations about the increasing uh, acceptability of homosexuality and transgenderism. I know these are big, heavy words and debatable and, and concerning topics, but they all go back to this. Does God have a purpose in making us men and women? And what is that purpose? Our theme this morning, God created us in his own image in our maleness and femaleness. Point number one, we're made in the image of God. We'll look at Genesis chapter one for that. Uh, point number two, maleness and femaleness have meaning. We'll look at 
Genesis chapter 2, parts of that, and also uh, chapter 3. And then point number three, the fall has affected this interaction and this relationship between uh, male and female, but redemption in Christ is working towards the restoration of these realities. Let's look at point number one. We're made in the image of God. The first thing that needs to be said when we begin this conversation is that men and women are equal in dignity and human personhood because both men and women are made in the image of God and have and receive all the benefits of salvation in Christ equally. Right? Genesis 1 verse 26 tells us uh, this. God created, then God said, let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And then verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then he said, God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. What we have here is an equality being communicated to us uh, in the image of God, the imago Dei, that both man and woman have by being made in the image of God. What does the image of God mean? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? It means uh, many things. One that we can see right off the bat is that being made in the image of God means that both man and woman share in the dominion over creation God has given to us and stewards over creation that God has granted to us. We're told that we're supposed to um, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air. We're told that we are to be fruitful, increase in number, to fill the earth, and to subdue it. Uh, so these are dominion, uh, these are dominion, man, this is the, what we often call the dominion mandate, or the cultural mandate. God has given us, in his image, the uh, stewardship over creation and all that is in it. And this is something that applies both to men and women, although they serve those functions in different ways. Another reason, uh, another thing that the image of God means is that we are relational creatures. We obviously see that in Genesis 2, the reality that God says it's not good for man to be alone. So Eve is created. We're relational not only with each other, but we are also uh, relational with God. We're created to have a relationship with him, to communicate with him, to walk in the garden with him as Adam and Eve did, to be able to have face-to-face communication with God, to be able to relate with God. We also reflect the image of God in various uh, ways that we have. We're logical, we think, we, uh, we love, we are called to be righteous and holy as he is holy. Uh, these are what theologians often, often call the communicable attributes of God. Uh, we share those uh, with God, not in the same way, but we reflect them as if looking in a mirror, right? This is what it means to be made in the image of God. This is what it means. This is why we fight for human rights. This is why we fight for human dignity. This is why we believe inherently that abortion is evil and wrong because all are made in the image of God. Every person has dignity, personal, and, and respect. They should be treated uh, as, as they have been made in the image of God. And both men and women share this. Both men and women share this. Men are not made slightly more in the image of God than women, as some may lead you to believe these arguments. 
point toward. We're both made in the image of God. And that is why when we read chapters, verses in the scriptures like Galatians 3, and it breaks down uh, the reality of this in Christ, that there's now no longer slave nor free, male nor female. What is being talked about there is not the breakdown of gender distinctions and home in the church and in the culture. What's being talked about there is that in Christ we all share in the benefits of union with him in the same way and we all have salvation in Christ in the same way. Men are not saved more than women in Christ. Men are not made in the image of God more than women. Women are not made in the image of God more than men, vice versa. So we're made in the image of God. And I hope that this helps us see the equality that is being described by this position, which is so often underemphasized. There is an equality in our dignity and our human personhood. Second thing that I want us to look at is that maleness and femaleness have meaning. Do you think it is simply happenstance that God made you a woman? Or that God made you a man? Do you think that the body which God knit together in your mother's womb is simply a circumstance? Or is God's sovereign providence over this as well. Many times we don't think about this, that God cares about our bodies. In fact, our bodies will be resurrected and spend eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. So our bodies matter. And in fact, what we need to see is that the scriptures teach that our bodies have something to do with our natures, that being a man means certain things about who I'm called to be, about what the scriptures tell me, the way I'm supposed to act, and the role I'm supposed to play in the home, in the church, and in the broader culture. And that being a woman means the same thing. Like God created me a woman means something. It has meaning to it. It means that I am called to a certain kind of attitude, demeanor, that I am called to a certain role in the home, in the church, and in the broader culture, neither of which are more important than the other one. See, that's the lie, isn't it? The lie is that somehow the man's role is more important. God didn't say that. Nobody said that. Simply because I'm the one up here and everyone's looking at me does not mean that this role is less valuable than other roles. Think about the analogy Christ or Paul makes of the body. Every part matters, right? If anything, I'm the mouth. And Mark laughs at that, right? But every part of the body matters, and the important thing is that Christ is the head. Christ is the head. So what, do our, what does the scripture today tell us about the, the meaning of maleness and femaleness? Well, the, what I want us to learn is that there is male authority, male headship, 
and you hear those words, and you might think to yourself, ooh, you kind of have that feeling, don't you, that reaction. You kind of, ooh, what's that mean? Because we have been so poisoned by what we would call male authority or male headship that has been distorted by sin in the world. Heavy-handedness and authoritarian and, and forceful male headship and a male authority, which is not what the Scripture prescribes for us. Um, but it also describes female equality. Male authority and female equality. So I want us to look specifically at Genesis 3 about this. Before we get there, though, I want us to see that in Genesis 2, we see that this male authority is not a result of the sin, but is actually put in place before the fall in Genesis 3. So we have this idea of Adam naming the animals. Adam is naming these animals. He's not naming them Steve, Rob, um, you know, all that. He's giving them actual names. He's expressing what would kind of be the, the image of God, and God spoke, and it was, and he gave things meaning and, and name. And so Adam's kind of reflecting that by, by bringing all these animals before him and naming them all, right? He has, this, uh, he has this authority. He has this headship. He's placed in the garden to, to work it, right, and to subdue it and to uh, tend it and to look over it. So Adam is there in the garden, right? And then Genesis 3, we see that the serpent comes, and the serpent begins to speak to the woman and to deceive the woman. We notice here an interesting fact. The woman uh, says... Uh, but God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you, will, and you must not touch it, or you will die. Interestingly enough, she's adding words to what God spoke to Adam. But um, Adam was the one who was meant to communicate to the woman uh, what God had said to him. So maybe there is a, an error there. And then look further down, verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. What this is saying is that Adam is not on the other side of the garden while the serpent is lying to his wife, and then she brings some fruit all the way over to the other side of the garden and says, hey, eat some of this fruit. And he's just, you know, a man and doesn't ask where it came from. That is not what is being communicated here. What is being communicated here is that Adam is right next to Eve, or the woman, his wife, as the serpent is lying to him. And if we know anything about covenant theology, we know that Adam is our representative. He is the federal head. It is his responsibility to crush the serpent as it enters the garden and to not let the serpent lie to his wife and to lie about the words of God. He, is to, he was supposed to tell the serpent the first time the serpent opened his mouth, get out of here, serpent. You're a liar. And do not speak to my wife in that way. That's Adam's role as the man. Protector, defender, provider. Right? If you don't believe me, look at what happens in verse 8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? Have you ever stopped and wondered why exactly it is 
that Genesis 3 is all about the fact that Eve listened to the serpent. The woman listened to the serpent. The woman was deceived. The woman ate from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. But it's the man God is looking for. It's the man. And I don't know about you, but as I continue to read the scriptures, I am told that I am fallen in Adam. That it's Adam's sin that I am born with. That it's Adam's sin that I inherit. I am not fallen in Eve. You know why? Because it is Adam who gave up his role, who became passive in this situation rather than leading as Christian father is to lead, rather than protecting as he is meant to protect. He became passive in the situation and he allowed what happened And therefore, he is responsible. The buck stops here, right? That's what I'm talking about, male authority. Now, maybe when you hear that, you think to yourself, why can't there be female authority? Let me ask you this. Do you believe that it is not a burden to carry the weight of responsibility for your family, for your church? I'm told in the scriptures that I will have to give an account. That the elders of this church will have to give an account for the lives, the spirits that they have over... They have had an oversight over. My personal feeling is that if I am truly a man, that I would desire to spare my wife from that. The burden of responsibility. That doesn't mean that women are not responsible for things and have leadership in various areas. They do. And it would be foolish for me to not seek advice and counsel for my wife in areas in which I know she is more qualified and better at. That's actually good leadership, isn't it? Not doing everything on your own, seeking counsel and advice from those who are more gifted. Male authority and female equality means that, yes, God has placed men in a position of leadership, but this leadership is meant to be humble. It is meant to be service-oriented. It is meant to be not heavy-handed, not harsh, not difficult. Female equality means equality in all that Christ has given to us and his benefits, 
but a different role to play, a role that is just as important and just as essential as the role that God calls men to play. We've already started to get into this, but I want to address the third thing, and that is the fall has affected this. The fall has introduced distortions into the relationships between men and women. For example, in the home, the husband's loving, humble headship tends to be replaced by domination or passivity. And then the wife's intelligent, willing submission, not forced submission, tends to be replaced by usurpation or servility. Uh, In the church, sin inclines men toward a worldly love of power or an abdication of spiritual responsibility and inclines women to resist limitations on their roles or to neglect the use of their gifts in appropriate ministries. How can we know this? We can know that, one, our manhood and our womanhood are meaningful because the curses which God directs towards man and women are unique to their nature. And two, we're told in those curses something that helps us to see uh, the tensions that are going to arise. The first thing I want us to see is that man, in verse 12, says, begins to push the blame, doesn't he? The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree. And then asking the woman, she said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, the serpent is the one that gets the curse first. The serpent is the one who receives the curse first. And look at the curse. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is what is often called the proto-euangelion, the first gospel, the good news that although Eve was deceived in the garden, because she is the mother of all living, she will be the one who brings the Redeemer into the world, that the seed of the woman, and that is Jesus Christ, would crush the seed of the serpent and overcome evil and sin forever. Amen. So there is a redemption. Redemption specific to the woman who was deceived in the garden. And I would say that is part of the reason why Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, a passage that we will eventually get to, a very controversial thing where he says women will be saved through childbearing. It ties into this reality, and uh, we'll explain that more as we go on. But to the woman, he said, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Uh, That specifically, your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. What we need to understand is that there in the garden, Adam and Eve had the perfect marriage that was not tainted or distorted by sin. They were naked and they felt no shame and they were truly one with each other. And then now we're told, her desire will be for her husband, and he will rule over you. It speaks of the fact that now Eve, in some way, is going to seek what God has given to her husband, and her husband, in, in response, is going to harshly rule over her or um, heavy-handedly rule over her. And then to Adam, the, the punishment 
is unique and specific to his maleness as well. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. So Adam is the provider. Adam is to work the ground, and now that is going to be made difficult, toilsome, hard. His curse is specific to his role as man. The fall has now affected this reality. The relationship between men and women is strained. But what we're already seeing, pointing to, is that redemption in Christ restores this. It does not eradicate the gender distinctions between men and women. It restores their true and meaningful and purposeful way. And we'll look at scriptures that speak to this reality. We'll look at Ephesians 5 as we move forward in the series. We'll look at scriptures like 1 Timothy 2 and the controversy about being, women being silent in church. We'll talk about the S word, submission. What does that mean? We're going to look at all these things together. And what I pray that we do as we go through this is that starting here at the basics, at the beginning, you will see something very, very specific. You'll see that this role of male authority or headship is given in the garden prior to the fall. It's not a result of the fall that men and women are equal in human dignity and value because they're both made in the image of God and have the same salvation in Christ. But our maleness and femaleness have meaning, so the roles that we are called to because of our gender distinctions are meaningful and purposeful and beautiful and should find an echo in the heart of every human being, not only in the home but in the church and also in the broader culture. This is something that we should embrace. This is something that as people of God who love God's word, we should love. And this is something that we can be salt and light in in our culture that is so quickly walking away from this, so quickly turning away from this, that people don't know what it means to be a man anymore. People don't know what it means to be a woman anymore. And God's word is sufficient to tell us what that means and why it is beautiful and why it is wonderful, and why we should not reject those unique and specific gender roles and distinctions God has given to us in his word. People, as you look around at the culture and society that we are in today, I hope you see that one of the main reasons why we are watching our culture tear itself apart and turn inside out is because we have given up the God-given instructions and meaning that God has given to us in his word for being uniquely male and uniquely female. This is God's word concerning the subject of biblical manhood and womanhood. And I pray as we continue to look at the scriptures together that you will see that God's word is clear on this and God's word is wonderful and beautiful concerning this. And I would encourage you, as we go through this series, that if you have questions, which I'm sure will arise, if you want more knowledge or resources, I would be glad to speak to you about this issue. I would be glad to answer questions about this issue. 
even if they are slightly aggravated and angry questions. I will be patient with you. I will tell you what I believe the Bible teaches concerning this. I'm inviting it. It's okay. And we will work through this. And over the next five Sundays that I have you here in the morning, we're going to be dealing with this topic of biblical manhood and womanhood and what it means for our homes, our churches, and the broader culture. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us all that we need in your scriptures, that we may know what you have called us to as men, that we may know what you've called us to as women, that we may know what you have called our homes to be like, how to raise our children, how our churches are to be ordered, and how we are to influence and, and look for the bettering and the, and the flourishing of our culture and our society in which we live. We ask, Lord, that you would give us grace as we continue to look to your word concerning this very heated and emotional and debated topic in our day and age. We pray that, Lord, you would give us the confidence that your word is clear on this issue and is so very powerful on this issue that we may have the humility to embrace where we have fallen short as men and women when it comes to what your scriptures tell us and that we may grow throughout this all as we look together on what it means to be made in your image, both male and female. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen.